Chapter 24 of The Exploits of a Juve by Marcel Alain and Pierre Souvestre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 24 A Mysterious Clasp. Hello, hello. Waking with a start, Juve rushed to the telephone. It was already broad daylight, but the detective had gone to bed very late and had been sleeping profoundly. Yes, it is I, Juve. The Surete? It's you, Monsieur Havid? Yes, I am free. Oh, that's strange. No signs? I understand. Count on me. I'll go there and keep you informed. Juve dressed in haste, went down to the street, and hailed a taxi. To Sevres, the foot of the hill at Bellevue, and look sharp about it. Juve left his taxicab and mounted the slope on foot to the elegant villa inhabited by Dixon. All was quiet, and if he had not had word, the detective would have doubted that he was close to the scene of a crime, or at least of an attempted one. Scarcely had he entered the grounds when a sergeant came toward him and saluted. Juve inquired, "'What has happened?' "'Monsieur Dixon is resting just now, and the doctor has forbidden the least noise.' "'Is his condition serious?' "'I think not from what Dr. Placine says.' "'Now, sergeant, tell me everything from the beginning.' The sergeant drew Juve to the arbor, where a policeman was seated making out a report. Juve took the paper and read. We, the undersigned, Dubois, sergeant in the second squad of foot police, quartered at Sevres, together with Constable Verdier, received this morning, June 28th, at 6.35 from Monsieur Olivetti, a businessman living in Bellevue, the following declaration. Having left my home at 6.15, and being on the way to the state railway to take the 6.42 train, by which I go every day to my work, I was passing the slopes of Bellevue when, being level with Brimborion Park, a little short of the villa number 16, which I hear belongs to Monsieur Dixon, an American pugilist, I heard a revolver shot, followed by the noise of breaking glass, the pieces falling onto a hard ground, most likely stone. Having halted for a moment through caution, I looked to see if anyone was hiding nearby. I saw nothing, but heard three more revolver shots in quick succession, seeming to come from Dixon's house. After some minutes, I went near the house and ascertained that the panes of the window on the right side of the front were broken, and the pieces strewed the asphalt terrace in front of the house. I made up my mind to ring, but no one opened the door. I then thought that some prowlers had amused themselves by making a shindy, and I was about to continue to the train when I thought I heard faint cries coming from the inside of the house. Then, fearing there was a mishap or a crime, I ran to the police station and made the above statement in presence of the sergeant. Juve turned to the sergeant, who gave further details. Constable Verdier and I immediately hastened here. We reached the terrace of the house, but there we came to a closed door we could not break in. Having shouted loudly, we were answered by groans and cries for help, which came from the room on the first floor of which the windows were broken. We then got a ladder and climbed up. I passed my hand inside and worked the hasp of the window. We went in and found ourselves in a bedroom in apple pie order, and in which nothing appeared to have been disarranged. And on a second inspection, queried Juve, I went to the far end of the room and found stretched on the bed a man in undress, who seemed a prey to violent pains. I learned afterwards that this was Monsieur Dixon, the tenant of the house. He could scarcely utter a word or move. His shoulders and arms were out of his clothes, and I could discern that the skin of his chest and shoulders 
bore traces of blood effusion. On a bracket to the right of the bed lay a revolver, the six cartridges of which had been recently fired. Ah! cried Juve, and then? I thought the first thing to do was call in a doctor. Monsieur Olivetti consented to go and call Dr. Placine, who lives nearby. Five minutes later the doctor came, and I took advantage of his presence to send my man to the station. Have you been over the house? Not yet, Inspector, but nothing will be easier, for in turning out the pockets of the victim's clothes we found his bunch of keys. To bring the doctor into the house you must have opened the door to him, and therefore had a glimpse of the other rooms in the house, the lobby, the staircase. The sergeant shook his head. No, Inspector, we went up the ladder. I tried to get out of the door of Monsieur Dixon's room, but found it was locked. This seemed strange, for the assailant presumably entered by the door. By the by, Sergeant, are there no servants here? The place seems deserted. Constable Verdier put in his word. The American lives here alone except for an old charwoman who comes in before nine. She will probably be here in half an hour, for she can have no idea of what has happened. Good, said Juve. You will let me know as soon as she comes. Wait for her in the garden. As for us, and he turned to the sergeant, let us make our way inside. The two, armed with Dixon's keys, opened without difficulty the main entrance door to the ground floor. There they found nothing out of the way, but on reaching the first floor the marks of someone's passage was clearly visible. The door of a lumber room stood wide open, and on its floor sheets of paper, letters, and documents lay scattered about. Juve took a candle, and after a brief investigation exclaimed, They were after the strong box. A large steel safe, built into the wall, had been burst open, and the workmanlike manner in which it had been done showed clearly the hand of an expert. Juve carefully examined the floor, picked up two or three papers that had evidently been trodden on, took some measurements which he jotted down in his notebook, and without telling the sergeant his conclusions, went downstairs again, paying no heed to the room in which Dixon lay, watched over by Dr. Placine. Verdier, who was mounting guard before the house, came forward and said, Mr. Inspector, the doctor says Monsieur Dixon is awake. Do you care to see him? Juve at once had the ladder put to the first-story window and made his way into the pugilist's room. The men's description was correct. No disorder reigned in the chamber, at the far end of which, on a great brass bed, a sturdy individual, his face worn with suffering, lay stretched. In two words, Juve introduced himself to the doctor, then expressed his sorrow for Dixon's plight. These are only contusions, Monsieur Juve. Serious enough, but nothing more. By the by, Monsieur Dixon may congratulate himself upon owning muscles of exceptional vigor. Otherwise, from the grip he must have undergone, his body would be no more than a shapeless pulp. Juve pricked up his ears. He had heard before of bones snapped and broken under a strain that neither flesh nor muscle could resist. The mysterious death of Lady Beltham at once occurred to his memory. Monsieur Dixon, you will tell me all the details of the tragic night you have passed through. You probably dined in Paris last evening? The sick man replied in a fairly firm voice, No, sir. I dined at home alone. Is that your usual habit? No, sir. But between five and seven I have been training hard for my match, which was to have come off tomorrow with Joe Sands. Do you think your opponent would have been capable of trying to injure you to keep you out of the ring? No. Joe Sands is a good sportsman. Besides, he lives at Brussels, and isn't due in Paris till tomorrow. 
And after dinner, what did you do? I fastened the shutters and doors, came up here and undressed. Are you in the habit of bolting yourself into your room? Yes, I lock my door every evening. What time was it when you went to bed? Ten at latest. And then? Then I went fast asleep, but in the middle of the night I was waked by a strange noise. It sounded like a scratching at my door. I gave a shout and banged my fish on the partition. Why? asked Juve, surprised. The American explained. I thought the scratching came from rats, and I simply made a noise to frighten them away. Then the sound having ceased, I fell asleep again. And afterwards? I was waked again by the sound of stealthy footsteps on the landing of the first floor. This time you went to see? I meant to do so. I was about to get up. I had put out my arm to get my matches and revolver, when suddenly I felt a weight on my bed, and then I was corded, bound like a sausage, my arms tight to my body. For ten minutes I struggled with all the power of my muscles against a frightful and mysterious grip which continually grew tighter. Alasso, suggested Dr. Placine in a low voice. Were you able to determine the nature of the thing that was gripping you? asked Juve. I don't know. I remember feeling at the touch of the thing a marked sensation of dampness and cold. A wetted lasso, exactly. A rope dipped in water tautens of itself, remarked the doctor. You had to make a great effort to prevent being crushed or broken? A more than human effort, Mr. Inspector. As the doctor has witnessed, if I had not muscles of steel and exceptional strength, I should have been flattened. Good, good, applauded Juve. That's exactly it. Really? You think so? queried the American with a touch of sarcasm. Juve smilingly apologized. His approval meant no more than that the statements of the victim coincided with the theories he had formed. And indeed, he saw clearly in the unsuccessful attempt on the American and the achieved killing of Lady Beltham a common way of going to work, the same process. Undoubtedly, the American owed it to his robust physique that he got off but slightly scathed, whereas the hapless woman had been totally crushed. The similarity of the two crimes allowed Juve to make further inductions. He reckoned that it was not by chance that Dixon had met Josephine at the Crocodile two nights before, while the presence of both Shalik and Lupart in that establishment was still less accidental. And already he felt pleased at the thought that he knew almost to a certainty the villains to whom this fresh crime must be ascribed. They had wanted to get rid of Dixon, that was sure, and by a process still unknown to Juve, but which he would soon discover. They had rendered the pugilist helpless while they were robbing him. "'Had you a large sum of money in your safe?' he asked. The American gave a violent start. "'They've burgled me. Tell me, sir. Tell me quickly.' Juve nodded in the affirmative. Dixon stammered feebly. Four thousand pounds! They, they've taken four thousand pounds from me! I received the sum a few days ago!' "'Gently, gently,' observed the doctor. You will make yourself feverish, and I shall have to stop the interview. Juve put in. I only want a few minutes more, doctor. It is important. Then turning to Dixon, he resumed. How did your struggle with the mysterious pressure end? After about ten minutes, I felt my bands relaxing. In a short while, I was free. I heard no more, but suffered such great pain that I fell back in bed and either slept or fainted. Then you did not get up at all? No. And the door of your room to the landing remained locked all night? Yes, all night. How about this broken glass in your window? Those revolver shots at six in the morning. 
It was I, firing from my bed to make a noise and bring someone here. I thought as much, said Juve, as he went down on all fours and proceeded to examine the carpeting of the room between the bed and the door, a distance of some seven feet. The carpet of very close fabric afforded no trace, but on a white bearskin rug the detective noted in places tufts of hair glued together as if something moist and sticky had passed over it. He cut off one of these tufts and shut it carefully in his pocketbook. He then went to the door, which was hidden by a velvet curtain. He could not suppress a cry of amazement. In the lower panel of the door, a round hole had been made about six or eight inches in diameter. It was four inches above the floor, and might have been made for a cat. Did you have that hole made in the door? No, I don't know what it is, replied the American. Neither do I, rejoined Juve, but I have an idea. Dr. Placine was jubilant. There you are, he cried, a lasso, and it was thrust in by that hole. Through the window, Verdier called. Monsieur Inspector, the charwoman is coming. Juve looked at his watch. Half past nine. I will see her in a minute. End of chapter 24